Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Rosa and I'm absolutely thrilled to say we finally have Ash back on the pod. And Billy and Tom are here too. Is it even a roller coaster anymore, guys? Or are we just trundling to the end of the line? Or have I just run out of lazy metaphors to describe our football club? We'll have a quick look back at our sad exit from the Champions League, a slightly longer look at the more enjoyable win over Forest, before we preview Southampton, where obviously nothing is going to go wrong. Then it's over to Spurs women, who just today sacked Rianne Skinner after an apocalyptically bad run of results that might actually see us relegated. But at least Billy is going to have some Oscars joy to celebrate. Guys, let's dispose of the Milan game first. Ash, you gave Billy your Milan ticket, didn't you? And I assume you're extremely glad you did. I did. And I, I took sort of like a brief holiday from like everything Spurs and my life improved dramatically. Um, and I really This sounds amazing. It. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Like not depressed anymore, just really happy person. So yeah, that's the key to like happiness is to just like avoid all Spurs related news for a week. I feel like I, I know this, like in my heart, and yet I never managed to do it. And now you're back. How are you feeling? Immediately awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am glad that we won at the weekend. Um, and yeah, I just sort of like ignored the title race. Just every, like, honestly, everything about football and just, mm-hmm. yeah, it was amazing. And it's such a good feeling England. when you can do it. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm very worried. I've got like three months of worry or however long the season's got left. So yeah. It's, yeah. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, guys. Billy, um, how mad at Ash are you for giving you his ticket? Well, I was very, very grateful. And um, I remember messaging him on the way in because my view is absolutely terrible from my seat. Um, it's right at the <laughs> front row in the south side. I remember messaging him being like, well, you know, at least I get to see a different view. And he was like, don't expect too much. And it's basically pretty much the same view of my seat, but just like from the other angle. So yeah, man, I didn't even get a better view really. But um, I did get to see get to see up close Pedro Parra, which I know is going to be a big topic in this podcast. So uh, if, uh, if anything, at least I got that um, because he was the, on- the only real positive for me in that game. And, um, and he was exceptional against Forrest as well. So I am grateful because it, I was like a couple of metres away from Pedro Parra when he was warming up. So yeah. If anything, that's what I'll take. Listen, um, actually, just thinking about this, a show that I assume you and I are going to talk about later, Billy, I think the theme of this pod should be look for the light. So you reckon look for the light. Tom, do you have any light from the Milan game or is it just I'm glad that's done? I'm sad it's over, but like, let's just not think about it anymore. No, it was one of the most um, infuriating games uh I've ever been to I think like not scoring against them over two legs they weren't that great and oh my god I've never been as cold as I was uh last Wednesday night it was so fucking freezing that night like incredibly cold and then the game was just so boring and frustrating um particularly obviously the Romero red was was pretty uh infuriating as well uh, and then I get it, um, but the kind of singing of Potch's name as people were leaving the stadium kind of wound me up as well, really, because I was just like living, like just stop living in dreamland. It's not something that is currently happening. So I don't know. Yeah, that that wound me up. And also I was kind of annoyed because when we hired um, Conte, the kind of warning from neutrals or people 
Chelsea fans and people who've been managed by him before is that he's not very good in the Champions League and that did very much turn out to be true, didn't it? Yeah, we never seem to be able to... It's like all the all the bad stuff we get warned about with these managers seems to happen, but we don't seem to get any of the good stuff on the way. Um, no, maybe that's too negative, actually. Because I, I don't feel... I personally don't feel that bad today about everything, but I was pretty miserable last week. Yeah, as you say, Tom, it was fucking freezing. And people just... Nobody seemed to be that up for it either. I don't know how you guys felt. I felt like the crowd sort of tried their best. And then after a while, everyone just went, oh, this just isn't going to happen, is it? Like I felt before the game, I thought it would be a nil-nil. And obviously that's what happened. But just everything frustrating that you didn't want to happen seemed to happen. Yeah, and I think the, the point that you make about the crowds, I think that goes back a long way, from, even in the, the original White Hart Lane, like, the football is the the only thing which really keeps the crowd going up because the, at, before the game, when the game started, the atmosphere was like on fire. It was a kind of similar, you know, situation to what we've seen before in a big Champions League game. Like the crowd would bang up for it. There were some decent songs at the beginning. But as soon as we start playing that bad football, it just goes. It goes. It absolutely disappears. And um, it's always been that way, really. It was like the it was the same at White Hart Lane. I remember some, you know, some of the AB, AVB atmospheres were absolutely dreadful. Um, and even, you know, even when we you you perceive that to be like the, the incredible atmosphere stadium, when we play bad football, the atmosphere is never good. Um, and it was that 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 kind of thing, really. And I just think that game was so disappointing on a whole because we just we did nothing. We did absolutely nothing. Um, one thing I was really really impressed by though is their goalkeeper, man. I would, I would absolutely love to sign him. I think he's an absolutely brilliant goalkeeper. Um, just everything you'd want from a goalkeeper. Um, really commanding in the box. Made, one outstanding save from Harry Kane, which was the only time he was really drawn upon. Um, and he's absolutely someone I'd love to look to in summer. But um, I just really disappointed by the way we just we didn't even we barely laid a glove on them in over 180 minutes of like boring football. Like, I can take I'd rather I'd much rather we sort of flew at them and got caught on the counter and lost like three 0 than what we actually transpired to do is just do nothing over 180 minutes. Yeah, in a way for me it was more exciting once we were down to ten men and just had to kind of like do sort of desperate things just to try to get anything out of it um I'm still I'm still really mad at Romero it's a completely fucking unnecessary red card and I just don't like I could I I felt like not like it was coming all game but he was just kind of strolling around and just and I know that's sort of his style and quite often it does work but you can't just stroll around and then suddenly decide to be aggressive to kind of cover your mistakes. And he just, I mean, that once he got sent off, that was it really, wasn't it? I I don't know, man. I wasn't really, it's just really depressing, isn't it? Because we sort of wanted to enjoy our kind of last chance at something, even if nobody really thought, like the Sheffield game was really, that was it, wasn't it? That was, that was what everybody felt was our last chance at glory this season. Um, so I don't think anyone was really expecting great things, but to just kind of go out with a real sort of, whimper I guess wasn't the one shall we just say oh well that happened um yeah you never know we might we might get another chance next year yeah we might get another chance next year by the weird the weird like football season and to be fair at the beginning I said the only positive was Pedro Porra but I actually also think to be fair Oliver Skip was really good again Mm -hmm. and he's actually he's been excellent in every single game that he's played um since he since he got the nod when like the Benton core injury 
Um, and like the the sort of intensity that you'd expect in a Champions League game, an all or nothing Champions League game, a knockout Champions League game. He was the only one. Him and Poro were the only two players that were playing a knockout game. Really, it was just the rest were so like lackadaisical about everything. Um, and I think he's been a real sort of. And we were all terrified when Bentancur got injured, and you know that's still obviously a, a massive concern. Um, he is one of our very best players, but Skip's been brilliant. I'm I'm really really happy with the way that he. I think he's he seems to be playing better than ever. Um, yeah, so that was another sort of, if we're looking for the light, that was another one too. I totally agree. And he's really actually much more forward thinking than I thought he would be as well. I thought he was, when Conte chose him over Saar, I thought that was the more kind of um, sort of conservative choice, I guess, the more defensive choice. But it actually hasn't worked out that way, I don't think, has it? He's actually quite, he's kind of, he drives forward quite a lot. And, you know, if we want to go forward to the Forest game, his pass for what should have been the opening goal was brilliant. Like, yeah, and that obviously vision. he scored in the Chelsea game. And that pass, was, I've ne- he's, I didn't really know he had that in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Like we know he yeah, same. flies and tackles and he keeps it tidy. He's very, very good. I, I haven't seen him play that kind of pass at all. Um, so yeah, it's just it seems to be getting better and better, and I just hope now that like the twelve league games that we've got or whatever, he can really sort of lay claim to being one of our you know starter midfielders next year as well because he's been brilliant. Yeah, I've actually sort of stopped worrying about Benton Core as well. Like I do when I think about it, and I think, oh God, what could happen, and what does that injury mean for him as a player? And I miss I miss Benton Core sort of style, I guess, but it doesn't really feel like we've got these. Kind of like we do have a sort of gaping hole in midfield. It feels like he's just really stepped up, which has been brilliant. Um, Tom, you went to the Forest game and how did it feel? I mean, thank God um, it came, it kind of exercised, exercised the ghosts of, uh, of Milan because honestly, I've never been so cold as I left Milan and miserable. Um, and and how long did it take you to get home? By the way, let's com- let's compare because I got I, home at midnight. I got home. And I was at one, so I, angry. I got home at one a.m. Um, but I one a.m. Yeah, but I, drink afterwards. I confess, I did go for two quick pints at the Beehive to drown my sorrow. Yeah. So the, I wish the, I'd done that. I left and I just thought, and I just ended up standing because obviously the Victoria line was down. Little pointless local rant. Yeah. For, but it was, but, it was it was sleeting, I think. And as we walked away from the stadium, having been knocked out of the Champions League, there were signs saying, "Yeah, the Victoria line's fucked." Because of course, as like, oh, oh, we stood in the sleep, miserable. <laughs> so I, I, no, I drowned my sorrow. It's proper insult to injury, that wasn't it? Yes. And then, thank God, Saturday was a total contrast. We got a three o'clock kickoff for once mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon. It was kind of fairly sunny, uh, and yeah. like uh, it started pretty nice anyway. Went for a lovely pizza at True Craft and some Craft Ales. Love nice, um, nice little spot near Seven Sisters Station. And then, yeah, I, you know, shout out the crowd really because we were on the back of a uh, shout out our fans. We were on an awful run with Sheffield United, the two Milan games and the Wolves game. And I think, like Billy said, we really wanted to make a go of it atmosphere wise in the Milan home game. It kind of started quite well the atmosphere. Um, and, you know, I think the fans were really good on, on Saturday. What was great is, you know, three minutes in, the fans were going mad and Richarlison had his goal after all of those uh, quotes that had come out after Milan and the kind of back and forth between him and Conte. 
Yeah, uh, what a week. Yeah, what a exactly. Week for both of them. And what a hit. And immediately it was like, wicked, okay, this is going to be a great afternoon. It was a banger of a goal. It's fucking so annoying that it was uh, it was disallowed. But yeah, generally a really fun match. We were pretty great. Forest weren't good, were they? Um, but yeah, strong home win and three goals. I could like again. It's just there's no point in ranting about VAR, but it was actually madness. And I honestly, I can't, I can't, I can't believe they haven't come out afterwards and gone. That was actually a terrible mistake. Being in the stadium as well, it went on for so long, mm. that, that check on the goal. And that kind of long, like, where you're like, oh, they're good. they're not going to give it, are they? Like, yeah. the longer it goes on for, the more you're like, just overrule it now, because we all know this is what's happening. It was obvious in the stadium, and obviously you get no comms, but it was taking so long. You're just like, well, they're just going to find some way to rule it out. It's, you know, it was a, a hair offside or whatever, or his hand, which I'm sure gave him a great advantage. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> absurd. But generally, shout out Richarlison because he had a fucking brilliant game. He set away, got an assist, won the penalty and was sort of the pre-assist, I think, in the other goal yeah. as well. He, he was involved in basically all in all of our goals, including the one we also should have had. So, brilliant. yeah, I, so sad for him that he didn't get the goal. But, yeah, what a performance. Ash, can I ask you about the whole Richarlison and Conte sort of spats that's been going on this week. Because obviously Richarlison came out after Milan just saying it's been a shit season and I don't really understand why I haven't been playing. And then Conte came out and said, yeah, he's right. He has had a shit season. <laughs> and like you, you love Richarlison, but you also love Conte. So how did you feel about it? But you're like, I, I don't like it. Right. I don't like it when Yeah, okay, interesting. They're, they're, it's kind they're, of my they're feeling. Both right. Yeah, that's yeah. how I that's how I get around um, the issue of falling out with either of them. Yeah. Um No, I this is like, it though. You see it, you see 360 degrees, my uh, friends. Uh, this is exactly. like, I agree. <laughs> exactly. So like Richardson's right it has been like a shit season. And I also think Richardson has been shit. But what I would say is that it isn't really Richardson's fault because mm. He doesn't really get a run of games and he sort of like gets thrown on in sort of like a faltering like forward line and we expect him to like score a few goals and it's like that's just not going to happen um he's also been played like out of season um and we know his quality like we watched him like in Qatar scoring like incredible goals and his attitude as well I think is really important like I I really feel like those sort of big derby games um or important games like I'd prefer like Richardson to start and for Son to come on because he really sets the intensity of the entire team by like pressing. Um, so I'm a really big fan and I, I hope that, um, yeah, I just hope he stays for like a really long time and, and is successful because he's just a player I think that like we can all really like fall in love with. So I feel, I feel strongly about Richardson. I'm loving this. And I, and I think you're totally right because I also absolutely love his attitude and I very nearly had like a massive argument with my dad who called him like another soldado. And I was just like, no, no, you didn't. And actually he's kind of calmed down. Like this was before the Forest game. And then after the Forest game, he was like, actually he was very good. You know, there's uh, he has certain criticisms of him, but they're not really a problem. And he, I think, is just what we need. And he basically kept Everton up 
with all with his goals. And it's but it's also not just playing for a rubbish team. He's Brazil's number nine. And okay, they had a disappointing World Cup, but that wasn't on him. That was on Neymar, as far as I'm concerned. So I just feel like it's one of those things where they had an argument in public that they probably should have had in private. And that's more the issue yeah. than anything else. Yeah. How's everyone else feeling about our guy, Richard? Yeah, I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think that this whole situation is just what he's all about, to be honest. Like, it's just this kind of drama just follows everywhere and I'm all right with it. Like, I, you know, I don't think, um, I wouldn't want him to not be like this. Like, I just think it's an interesting, you know, football is so boring. 95% of all footballs are incredibly boring human beings. And he's got so much character about him. And he comes out and says that in an interview, Conte gives it him back, and then he starts in the next game and it's all moved on. Like you don't need to make a big deal. We probably, as fans, made a big and the press made a bigger deal out of it than what it was. Like I was personally convinced that we'll never see Richarlison ever again and Conte will freeze him out of the team. Um he just played him in the next game, and that's the best thing to do. Like they both just moved on from it, you know. <clears throat> you know, any, you know, these kind of arguments happen all the time in sport, I'm sure. You would get people having to go at each other in the heat of the moment, just because like Conte is a terrible loser, Richarlison is a terrible loser, and that's all right. And then you probably forget the fact that they, they've probably been training together, you know, the day after, the day after, and the day after before the game. And um, yeah, I was. I think it was a really good way to sort of quickly move on for it. I did not expect him to play against Forest. Um, I thought that you know he'd, he'd get like a sort of Jed Spence type treatment, um, but I'm glad he did. And there's just um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't really have a problem with even the way that even did it. To be honest, it's just like they're both just terrible losers and um, just came out in public. And to be honest, terrible losers is more of what we want at Tottenham rather than people who are just like, oh, we've lost another game and that's just something that just happens to this club. Like, we're sick of that attitude. I had a moment of fear when he, because he started um, instead of Kulu, didn't he? And I thought, oh, like being on the right, it's just, is he just kind of, is Conte just sort of hanging him out to dry a little bit, like another bad performance? And he'll be just like, see, this is, you know, this is the guy you want. But actually, and whether that, you know, I'm sure that wasn't the plan, but even if it was, it didn't work because Richarlison just completely took charge, didn't he? And was just like, actually, I do have a point to prove and I can, and I've, and I've done it. And I loved watching it, really. Another guy who seems to have a brilliant attitude is our new right wing back. I'm sorry about Emerson, Bill, but he does seem to have been replaced now. It took a while, man. It did it take a while, and I don't know if you've you've seen today. Like the the transformation is fully complete because he's dropped a compilation as well. Like he's fully <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taken on the Tottenham right wing back role. But it's a weird thing. There's an actual it's a compilation from a right wing back, and there's actually amazing goals in it. Like it's only from training, so there's not much too much you can read it. But Jesus Christ, man, this guy can can finish a football like it's insane. Some of the I think he scores three goals in it, and they're all like um, left foot, right foot, top corner. Like he's just such an exciting player and I think we need to learn our lesson as fans sometimes he had a pretty poor debut against Leicester um, and we forget that these players come from a totally different league and of course they're going to take time no one drops in even like Kudusevsky Bentenka it took them a few games um, and the thing that I like about him he's just so positive on the ball I, I didn't actually see the Forest game but I saw a Pedro Porro compilation after and every single pass is like forward it's just forward pass trying, can I beat the man can I cross and um, you know I love Emerson uh, you know Doherty but that's not what they're about they're more about sort of securing possession keeping it tidy 
um, trying to cut inside and you know recycle the ball. Pedro Porro's first aim is always to either take on a player or cross the ball into Harry Kane. And um, I think it's going to be such an exciting player for us over the next few years. And I just think he's got something about his personality as well. He's a real character, I think. I think it's really, really exciting. It was nice being in the stadium for Forrest because um, in the corner of the South Stand where I sit, you that second half you get the right wing back and the right winger kind of flying directly at you. Um, and like you said, Billy, Poro just wants to get forward and make things happen. Um, overlap with Richarlison. When Kulu came on, him and Kulu were overlapping really well. And um, Poro just wanted to get to the edge of the box and put balls in. Um, so, yeah, we're going to... I'm looking forward to getting goals from from him uh, and assists because he looks like he's got them in him for sure. More goals would be good. Do you feel like he could sort of light a bit of a fire under Kulu, actually? Because Kulu's not had a great season and is... Is playing with somebody like Poro down that side, uh, like could that be something where they actually like once they're properly in sync, that's just much more like much as I like Emerson, like that's just much more dynamic and there's just so much more possibilities of interchanging, right? So it's not just it's not just Kulu that has to do it all. They can properly like cross over at any time, and that just no. might. I don't know. I just feel like Kulu sort of maybe needs that a bit as well. At the end of the game then, when Kulu came on, it did look like they were starting to have an understanding and know when to, you know, the, when to make the run and when to make the pass. Um, yeah, they, it looked like they could definitely be really brilliant together. I think so as well. And, and like you've got Romero in the mix as well as a right centre-back. And apparently we were robbed of Benton Kerr, but if you put Benton Kerr, Romero, Kulisevsky and Poro all in the same team, they're all on the right-hand side. And that's just, that's a nightmare for anyone to play against. There's so many technical players that can have such a range of skills there and skill sets. Um, but I think like, Poro is just going to draw two, three defenders away from Kulisevsky and then Kulisevsky can have a lot more space. So yeah, I, I think it's only a good thing. Um, and he's he's as good a crosser as Kulisevsky, if not even better. So... You know, so I think the, the person who's going to be most pleased with the sign is Harry Kane out of everyone. And we've already seen one, and I think it's going to be first of many Harry Kane headers from a Pedro Porro cross, which he should have also... Was it Milan? He should have also scored done, scored one. But Porro put on like a, on a sixpence for him. Like, I think it's just the beginning of those two are going to have... They're going to be on fire. Whilst we're on standout players, I just wanted to give a quick shout to Fraser Forster. Um, I was kind of annoyed that we conceded because... Uh, Forrest really didn't do a lot and kind of didn't deserve it. But fair play to Forster. He had nothing to do for about 70 minutes uh, and then made two really great saves um, towards the end of that second half before then saving a penalty as well. And it's worth saying as well, his distribution was brilliant throughout the game. And he's just a you know commanding presence in the box. So thank God we brought him with um, Larice out for all this time. It's amazing, isn't it? We've actually finally sort of stumbled on a decent substitute keeper after like the parade of clowns that we've had over the past, like, I don't know, 10 years. And I think there's an interesting argument to have. Like, is he even the substitute goalkeeper anymore? Like, that's a crazy thing to even suggest. It, was a cra- it would have been a crazy thing to suggest in summer that that is even the conversation. But I think it is. 
I think it is. And I, I, I don't know. I feel a lot better with Forster and Gold at the moment. I'm just going to say it. Like, he's just calmer. The defence is calmer. He's much better at distributing. He's not as good a shot stop at release. But I think the, the way that Laurie sort of sets the time and makes everyone anxious and nervous when he just sort of like hoofs it into the into touch after like two minutes or three minutes in a big game. I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not going to complain if Forster plays for the rest of the season for us. And that's more of a sad thing on Hugo Lloris than it is. And, you know, a particularly positive thing about Forster. But I'm, I've been really, really impressed with him, to be honest. I, I just like the calmness that he brings, um, which is not something we've been used to as a goalkeeper. For all that have, you know, having one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if Hugo Lloris, he's not a calm player. No, I totally agree. And I think the problem with Hugo this season in particular is that he's really like embodied us as a team, hasn't he? So he's been capable, he's like his ceiling is much higher than Forster's. So he can still pull out those sort of like nine out of 10 performances. But then you'll also get like horrific three out of 10 performances. And Forster's just like a solid seven, isn't he? And I feel like that's just what we need for the rest of the season. Just be steady. I, I don't know when does anybody know when Hugo's due back? Because I'll I'll be honest with you, I think Forster will probably well I think, I think my, my feeling is he'll out. be dropped. Wasn't it like six weeks Hugo was out or something like that? So he's probably back in a few weeks and hopefully he just stays on the bench. Mm. Um do you think he will though? No, I think he'll yeah. be straight back in the team. But I, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I actually sort of forgot how much he scared me, like Hugo, like this mm. season, until you just mentioned it and for me, that's sort of like priority number like one in the summer. Um, yeah. even ahead of even ahead of a centre back. Um, we just can't go into next season with Hugo as a number one, which is insane thing to say, but sadly true. Well, it was gonna come to an end at some point, wasn't it? I guess. And this sort of feels as as good a time as any when it's not kind of utterly catastrophic, I guess. I think I think you're right. I think it's the absolute it is the absolute priority. Um can I can I just tell you guys my new my new theory? Because I've suddenly I don't know, I just don't feel that depressed anymore. I was so angry last week and I was like, that's it, I'm finished with this club. I'm sick of them. I hate everybody. Just they're a disgrace. But now do you remember okay, so last season, obviously this isn't this isn't the same level, but when Kulu and Bentoncourt showed up and they just like ended up kind of driving us to fourth with their kind of skill and their energy and the way they just kind of slotted straight in and it all worked. Like, I really think that Porro and Richarlison could kind of, could do the same for us for the rest of the season. That that's like, they, they could be those players for us. I'm feeling like weirdly optimistic. Am I, am I crazy? I don't think so. And that's why I think the January window is so important. And I, I, I absolutely detest to bring it up, but look at Trossard at Arsenal. Like, you need just a spark sometimes midway through a season just to sort of carry you over the line. It happened last year for us. And I think you're right. I think Pedro Porro is going to be a huge addition for us. And um, yeah, I think Rich Arlison has now got some sort of fire in him. So yeah, I think you could well be right. I think you have to add in Skip as well because we, we he, obviously he was injured and yeah. weirdly like, you know, we haven't really missed Hugo and we haven't really, I know that we went out of those two games, but Skip's played really well. And so has Saar. They've both really like stepped up. And I don't think we would have seen much of them if Benson Core had been fit or Basuma for that matter, who I, I forgot even existed. So like, literally I, I, I same until you just mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely. I, I forgot he was even a thing. Um, but yeah, those those two have like really stepped up as well. So perhaps like you know, everyone always talked of Skip as sort of 
a future Spurs captain, someone that could really step up. And I never really believed it, but he's really impressed me in recent weeks. I think he's been amazing. So credit where it's due and like long may that continue because it would be great with, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it, but a potential Kane exit at some point to still have a homegrown player that starts every game. Right. So a week ago, we were all totally furious, totally depressed, but kind of going from what everybody's been saying, it seems like we're all slightly more positive. Um, It's been helped, I guess, by results going our way with Liverpool and United. How is everyone feeling now? Like last week, we were disgusted by the very idea of top four. Now, people have even started talking about like nicking third off United, which obviously seems really far-fetched, but you never know. Could be, could happen, could be really, really hilarious. So what I want to know from everyone is like, where are you? How do you see the rest of the season panning out? How are you feeling about the club? How are you feeling about Conte? Just um, where, yeah. What is your current temperature check? Billy, I'll go to you first. Um, I'm kind of in two minds about it because I, I do think we'll finish top four. Um, because we've got we've got a really good run in. We've got a really really we've got twelve games and there's only a few that we shouldn't be winning. Like this, like our next games are Everton, Bournemouth. We've got coming up. We've got um, Southampton next. We've got Brighton, and those are our next four or five games. Um, and we've got you know we've got a good run of fixtures. So I do think you know as long as we and the fact that we now got con- one game a week Conte as well is a big difference. The the other mind is that I'm just annoyed that they're going to get what they want. This is what they wanted, isn't it? They wanted just to be solely focusing on top four. And it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like a little bit disappointing that it could have been so much more. I would much rather be doing this while still being in the FA Cup or still being in the Champions League. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that disappointment's not going to go away. I think overall, though, like, I think Conte's probably going to end up finishing with two top four finishes. Um, and leaving, and then you know it's hard to argue that it wasn't a, a a good appointment. It's just that that sort of inkling in the back of your mind that it just could have been so much more, couldn't it? But um, I think it's just mad to say that we actually, I do actually think we'll get top four, and that's that's good. But um, I, you know, and I know last week we were talking about you know we don't care about top four and all this, and you know I do would much 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 rather be t- sitting here talking about a cup run than being in the top four. But I do kind of feel like whoever is the next manager after Conte. It's probably a good thing we're going to get to be playing the Champions League, and um, if anything else, it's just going to be another thing which help, might help us keep Harry Kane for a bit longer. So, no, I feel a lot better than I did last week, um, and I do think we probably will finish in the top four. Are you not worried about Newcastle? Because I wasn't, but then I feel like I I looked at their fixtures and they seem quite kind, and we have to go to theirs. Yeah, I just I think they're so, I think they're so boring. I think they're a really they are, boring yeah. football team. Like they, I just think they'll draw too many games. Like I don't. I'm not too worried about them. Um, they don't score a lot of goals. They draw a lot of games. They don't. They've won one game since January. I'm not really worried about them to be honest. I just think like they've done a great job in going from like becoming like a, a bottom half team to a very very solid, you know, team that is competing for Europe. But I just don't think they've got the squad in them to finish in the top four. And um, I think that's been shown up over the last month or so. Um, you know they could. You know they're very hard to score against things like that. But no, I think I'm much more worried about Liverpool than I am them. To be honest, you know Liverpool, as we've seen, they can they could easily go. They could win all of their remaining games like they have it in them. Um, but I just think, um, yeah, I'd be more worried about Liverpool than Newcastle. To be honest, yeah, because they're pretty much they're going to have one game a week as well after 
tomorrow night, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Unless unless so. unless and, uh, a miracle happens for them against Madrid. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. You never. I know. think so, but you know, Liverpool. As in Liverpool, you never know of Liverpool at the moment, do you? Like they could. They, I mean that. That Bournemouth result was crazy after going and beating Man United 7-0. But, um, yeah, like the most Tottenham result we, ever. It is. It's like the Blackpool one when we lost to AC Milan. We beat AC Milan a week before. Um, yeah, I just think that that until that result, I, I, I thought they'd probably beat us the top four. But now I just think we've got too much. We've got too much of a good run of fixtures to not do it. Which is famous last words, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is it. I think all you can do is just literally like, well, not literally, but like take the temperature on any given day, on any given week. And so we just have to enjoy feeling positive while it feels like things are looking up rather than down. Ash, where are you? Because we haven't chatted to you for a while. And obviously, like last week, we discussed like new managers and everything. And I don't know, like I personally, I genuinely feel like there is a world, there is actually a world in which Conte stays next season. And I know that that is a sort of minority view where are you with that? Um, I don't think he's going to stay. Okay. Um, my all. minority is getting no, smaller. Yeah, smaller. sorry. <laughs> I don't think he's going to stay because I just think there's so much, not bad blood, but you can just like in the ground, social media, you can like just feel the tension towards Conte. Um, and I just think we, we're going to have to change. Um, and I think we should change, um, which is mad for me because I really like Conte. Yeah. But um I do think he'll get top four as well. That's the thing. I think, and I think like if he leaves, like Billy says, with two top fours, he's done his job and we might not have liked it, but he has done like his job because the bigger issue at hand is that like the club is just geared towards just getting top four and like that's it. And he's he's achieved his goals if he does that. Um, we're all really angry because he wanted to win something. Um, but top four obviously is the aim of the club like at large. Uh, for the revenue reasons, but I'm not personally fussed if we don't get top four. Um, I want it because I, because it's, you know, you want to finish as high up as possible and it would be great to sort of finish the season, especially if Arsenal don't win the league, like both of us just sort of like ending up empty handed in top four after like all the hype. Um, but I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever to like getting players um, because like, our arch rivals have proven that they've proven that you can go on like a title charge without having it's just money. It's just money. Yeah, and yeah, and if yeah. you if you pay the players like the going rate, they're gonna just come anyway. So I just don't think it matters. I think it's an excuse for the from the club to not get players, but I don't think it matters like in the real world. Um, but I think we're gonna do it anyway. I think it's like a, a moot point. I think we're gonna do it because the fixtures mm-hmm. are just like in our hands and yeah Conte's just like he's done it before and he's done it with this group of players we were in a worse position last year and we turned it around so I really think that we'll do it why do you think Conte should go then as opposed to you think he definitely will um because I think he's the wrong fit for the club because of our mental fans or well our mental fans and also I think like a manager like Conte or Mourinho, you you either like fully submit to like their will and like buy them all the best players that you can afford, or you sort of don't. And like that's just not Spurs. So we sh- we should stop sort of pretending that we're Chelsea and just like be ourselves and like invest in a manager and just stick by them for a bit. 
Um, but I just don't want another like Conte and Mourinho, like all characters that like I like, but I just don't want another Chelsea cast off because from day one, like half of the fan base, like isn't on board. And I'd rather yeah. like move forward. You know, like, the best thing about Pochettino, yeah, like the results and this, these young players that he brought in, but it felt like for the first time in like my lifetime that the club was like United and it would be great for like that to happen again, like under a new manager. So I think he should just go for like those reasons, sadly. Yeah, just because we've had enough fighting. The only thing I would say is that, and I know Conte is so inconsistent with his messaging, um, but he has talked about patience and it taking several transfer windows to build something. And I know then he kind of undercuts his own message by not actually committing to the club. But if he did... Then that sort of if he if he if he did get us into top four and then he ended up saying actually I'm going to stay and kind of marry that with everything that he said about it taking a few transfer windows to get it right, that looks like a slightly different picture to me. I mean, I guess fans will still be angry about the football that we play, but if the results change, I don't know. It probably wouldn't happen, but I just feel like there's a world in which that could happen and it's not completely insane. Maybe just a little bit insane. Tom, you're just like, no. Sorry, I was like <laughs> fully Conte in until Sheffield United and the two Milan games kind of killed it for me, to be honest. I think most likely, I think almost certain now, he'll he'll go in the summer. If we get fourth spot or even third, don't forget Casemiro just got a four-game ban. So good, so good. <laughs> and he's United's best player. Um, apart from maybe Rashford, but uh, he's so crucial to the way they've been playing recently. You know, maybe we could sneak sneak third, but, you know, now we're out of the Champions League, we're out of the FA Cup. That infuriated me. I will happily take sneaking fourth and just kind of calling it a day. Like you were saying, he can, Conte walks away with his head held high, two fourth place finishes, it's been such a roller coaster season, and we're really lucky that Liverpool have been so inconsistent. I didn't see that loss to Bournemouth coming at all, obviously, after the United game. Um, and then, yeah, Chelsea have been terrible. I think you're right. Newcastle are well boring. Um, so, yeah, I can, I think we're getting fourth, but I would just say, as Billy was saying, fixture wise, I think these next kind of four are so crucial Southampton, Everton, Brighton, and Bournemouth. And Brighton's a tough game. They've been one of the best teams we've played in like this season, I think. Uh, but Everton, Southampton, and Bournemouth—it's sort of if we get what we—I mean, we need twelve points from those three, don't we? Yeah, I definitely think so. And if, like against, uh, we played before Liverpool on the, at the weekend, and we've got Southampton on bottom and. If we win that game, we'll be nine points ahead of Liverpool. I know they have some games in hand, but it's a long way back. It's a long, long way back, especially when they're sort of winning the game, losing the game, winning the game, losing the game. Um, and I'd be really disappointed if we don't get if we don't win the next four. Like Southampton, Everton, Brighton at home, who are a good side, but we should beat them at home. And then Bournemouth. Like we've got if we have if we want to be sort of talking about any realistic aim of the top, top four, we need to be winning all four of those games. And if we do that, then I, I just can't see us slipping after that because that's a really, you know, that I, you'd imagine that <clears throat> Liverpool's next few games are ridiculous. They've got, I think they've got a really, really tough games 
uh, Rona Games coming. I think they're playing, I can't remember who they're playing. I think they're playing Chelsea and Man City and someone else as well. Arsenal. Um, so I've got all and three Arsenal, of them. Yeah, that, yeah, they've got all three of them in their next three games. So it's a real chance to put some daylight between us. And um, yeah, we have no excuses. We have no excuses not to win all four of those games. Um, and if we do that, then I think we'll be in a really, really good position to get top four. And, um, uh, you know, it is, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, last week we were talking about what is top four. And I think Ash is totally right. And actually what this season has taught me is I haven't really enjoyed any of the Champions League games at all this year. I can't remember any of the group games for being memorable at all. Um, the Milan games were both terrible. Like we had the away one in Marseille, which was, we had that last minute Hoybier goal, which was great. But the the overall game was, was a dreadful game, if you remember it. Like, I don't know. It's, we build it up in our head as being this amazing thing, this like, um, you know, other world of incredible football. But it's not been that good this year. And um, I hope if we do it again, then, you know, we I just want one of the big teams because I feel like we've taught them in the Champions League. We When we have these groups, it happened the same happened with Pochettino when we got like Monaco and people like that. And we went out in the group stage. I, I just want to play the big teams, man. That's what all I want for the Champions League. Um, I don't like these sort of like half-assed games against like your Sportings and your Marseilles and people like that. I want like Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and all them. So if we get in, if we do get in there next year, I want some of those big tyres back, man, because it's been, it's been pretty forgettable this year, totally. Um, disagree because I actually did enjoy the group stages. Um, I enjoyed the Marseille games and I enjoyed the Lisbon at home, actually, even though that ended up being like absolutely horrific because we should have won. And then our like last minute winner um, was overruled. But like, I still remember, I mean, that's just classic VAR, like spoiling everything, but I still remember like that, that feeling in the stadium and I did really love it. So, but then I think I just really, I really love Champions League and kind of whatever format it exists. Marseille was fun, wasn't it? I was just going to uh, also um, contradict Billy by saying Marseille was a lot of fun. And Richarlison got his two goals and I thought he denounced his arrival as a Spurs player. It didn't really work out like that. Nothing ever does, does it? But um, yeah, that was good. And actually when Conte was bitching about Richarlison the other day, I did think, well, we wouldn't have got out of the group game the group stage without those two goals. So um, that was something he's contributed this season. Yeah, actually, really yeah, that was, I do remember those. I do remember those two goals. Actually, that was actually pretty decent. But I think, um, yeah, they got, they got a man sent off as well. Was that the game where Son scored? I can't remember. They all blended. Was it the Frankfurt one where they got <laughs> sent, man sent off as well? But um, yeah, but um, yeah, the Richarlison goal was probably the only thing that I'll really remember in the Champions League this year. Yeah, he cried and it was such a lovely moment. We were all like, this is it. What a lovely dude. You know, but I think that's fine. I think we'll, I think in years to come, we'll look back and be like, that was sort of the beginning of something great and it didn't quite work out that way, but then it did go on to be something great. Do you know what it is for me of the Champions League is I find the league so exhausting, man. I find it so relentless. And as we've talked about before, we have to play so many derbies and so many fucking weird grudge matches that I love just playing teams that don't know us or care about us. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just it's just a relief. And as you all know, I really, really hate the Europa League. Um, so I don't ever want to go back there. Um, we should be beating Southampton because they're playing tomorrow night as well. So you can't, I mean, surely, guys, surely. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's just shaking their heads. <laughs> we say this a lot and then we just leave we do. or something. So. Yeah. But, but yeah, we have, we have to win. Like we if we're serious, like we have, we have to win. That's Are we serious that. though? That's just, that's just well, been a like, not, perennial no, question, isn't it? 
we're not, definitely not serious as a football club or entity, but um, it is important that like we win that game because that's probably the easiest, one of the easiest games of the season. Um, so, there's, <laughs> so there's no excuse. Yep, just nothing, nothing to worry about there. Um, does anyone have anything else to add about this? You know, eminently winnable fixture. Before I go on to um, Spurs women and talking about a game that they've absolutely got to win tomorrow night against Leicester, who are currently bottom of the league, um, but we are only hovering about two points above them. And today um, we parted company with Rianne Skinner, the manager, which is actually really, really sad, but also... Long overdue, to be honest, and because we were on a run of nine league losses. Um, we hadn't won in the league since October. And that probably, like in a way, that sounds worse than it is because the women's league has really kind of stopped start. There's so many breaks in it. Um, but it's still really bad. And it's ridiculous that it's kind of got to this point, really. Um, I read a sort of I read an interesting piece in the Telegraph, I think, earlier. There was possibly the reason that they waited so long is because I think they had really like the sort of Spurs hierarchy had kind of put everything behind her and it's sort of like envisaged that she would be the person that they could kind of, that she would be the one building the team and taking the team forward. And they had everything to sort of, you know, there was so many good reasons to believe that because they finished fifth last season. Um, but then obviously it all went to pieces this season. But the thing that again is really frustrating is that this, even with this run of terrible, terrible results, like not even a draw, man, it's just all been losses. Um, there doesn't seem to have been any kind of planning. So her assistant is taking charge. That's peak Spurs. And, yeah. and, and, and I just checked the last like league win and it was mm-hmm. like an 8 0 win. Yeah. Which is completely bizarre. Yeah, against Brighton, who yeah. I think have who've managed to turn it around since then, basically. So that's also just quite classic. As, like you, they... as you said, Rosa, as well, it's like I kept I, every week I've been looking at the league and you get the like WWL, whatever, you know, the colour coded mm-hmm. uh, form thing. It, it seems like almost impossible that we haven't at least had a draw in that run of games. Yeah. Like it is. Even for Tottenham, it seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so sad, but it's also now it's just, it's that classic Tottenham feeling. I think of it being kind of really sad and also really, really enraging because it just seems like they haven't really, it's been coming, it's been obvious um, and they haven't, they just have just kind of frozen basically. So I don't really, like. I have. I've no idea now. I've do, I don't know if she's going to take over for the if the assistant's going to take over for the rest of the season or if they've got ideas. Like, uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, as Ash said, it feels very Spurs that we haven't mm-hmm. remotely planned for what happens next, as we didn't with uh, <laughs> when we appointed Nuno. Maybe yeah. Nuno. Maybe Nuno can do the job. Um, no, but in all seriousness, are there um, names in the frame? Is there anyone that's being mentioned? I haven't heard anything and maybe that's because I'm not sort of tapped into it um, as others are, but I've been looking and like just, I haven't heard anything. So maybe we'll hear more over the next few days, but it's just, it just seems like madness. And it's 
Like I just, I can't, I can't believe they're just wasting this opportunity, man. And it's just like, when you look at the, some of the players that other teams have bought and how well they're doing, um, it's just, it's so maddening. And, but also I think, uh, if you compare, if you like, I don't really know much about Leicester, but obviously they've had a terrible season, but they have sort of slowly started to turn things around. But I think even if you kind of compare our squads, there's no way we should be in this position, but we are. And I don't, it's quite scary now. I don't really know how we're going to get out of it, but I'm just going to like, if, if Spurs women get relegated, uh, honestly, like that will make me probably more furious than losing the cup game to Sheffield. Like that's the sort of level of it because it's just a complete lack of planning, lack of investment, lack of foresight, just a classic Spurs clusterfuck. Yes, Ashley, raising your hand. It, it, it does feel weird that they're like committing like a huge amount of money to this sort of uh, new women's training ground, which looks mm-hmm. like really, really amazing. And then like, is it just going to be the training ground all over again? Like, come yeah. and enjoy the training ground. Yeah, the yeah. It's like sort of they're just trying to make the women's team as much like the men's as possible yeah. by like having an amazing, having amazing facilities, but like not investing in the side properly. Um, but yeah, it just just feels like slightly odd to like make that commitment and not to sort of like do the same on the pitch. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, man. It's like they just, it's almost as if they did that again without trying to go to the parallels too much but the way we all complained about the Sheffield United game and the the team and the management just kind of not looking at the whole situation and not looking up and being like actually this is a really good chance there's loads loads of big teams have gone out of the cup like let's just get to the quarterfinals it's almost as if you know, and they thought, oh, we'll, we'll be good enough to get through. It doesn't matter. It's almost as if um, the hierarchy looked at the women's team and just thought, it's going to be fine. Like, there's only one relegation place. We surely can't get drawn into that. We're safe no matter what we do. And it's just like, you can't just stop with the hubris, Tottenham. Just stop it. It just doesn't ever take us anywhere good. Just take the situation seriously. Act early. Act fast. Um, and get your shit together. So I'm very, I didn't realise the game was um, actually midweek as opposed to at the weekend. So I'm quite, um, yeah, I'm quite anxious now, really. I don't really, Leicester's form is not terrible. So, but we absolutely have to win it. And if we don't, I can't really see how it isn't going to be completely catastrophic. So I really, really, really wish I had better news. It's really sad. I feel terrible. I just feel terrible, basically. It's really gutting. Um, I really like Trianne Skinner, but it's just the team. It's not just the losses, actually. I think the team sort of style has, we've been sort of drifting for a while now. Look, if I really look at it, loads of things I've complained about over the season. Um, We've not been playing anywhere near as well as we should have done. So it's almost like nobody was really paying proper attention. I don't know. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we won't um, go down, but it seems it's just really miserable having to even contemplate it, basically. Um, I'll end that sad tale now. Shall we go on to like much more cheerful things? Billy, I really want to start with you as we go into culture because um, the Oscars were last night and basically all your faves won, right? Yeah, man, uh, they did it. Like, I've been championing... Championing 
everything everyone that wants on this podcast for a long time since it came out. Literally um, since like the day it came out, I think. Since the day it came out, yeah. And I didn't expect it to this to happen at the end of it though. I just wanted people to see it. And then it like kind of got all this sort of like hype and then got nominated. And then suddenly it just like started taking over. Like it won it's pretty much swept all the awards. It's actually I read today it's the most awarded film of all time. It, it took over um, Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. You add up all of the awards that it's won in the in the season. It's basically swept every single award. It's just been like an absolute mammoth campaign from them. And uh, one best film, um, one best actress, one best supporting actress, one best um, director. So it was swept all the big awards that it was nominated for. There were no awards that it was up for um, that it didn't win. There were any of the big categories. One best editing as well. And I'm just buzzing. And I'm particularly buzzing for like Michelle Yeoh and Kiki Kwan because that is two, you know, particularly with everything that's been going on in the news at the moment. It's just an amazing, incredible story about two Asian actors. Um, Kiki Kwan, I don't like, he's been, the speeches that he's made in the awards season have been absolutely brilliant. And um, it's just an incredible story. Like he was basically a child star, did not have any film roles for years and years and years. And then the Daniels, who are the directors of everything everyone at once, just rang him said, we'd love you to be in this film. Uh, and he has basically had no career in between. And then he's won an Oscar for it. And Michelle Yeoh is like one of the most incredible gifted actors of any, you know, in, in the world, let alone an Asian actress. And um, she is much deserving of the of an Oscar. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really, really happy. I think it's a fantastic film. Um, and I think what it speaks about the Oscars, like, is just, it's exciting. Like a film, that kind of film, it's not like a biopic. No, traditionally the biopics clean up at the Oscars. Um, it's got an Asian cast. It's like interesting. Um, yeah, I'm really, really happy with that one. Um, I'm, I've been buzzing all week because of it. Yeah, I am so pleased that the Academy just went out. Like, much as I love Kate Blanchett, I'm so pleased they just went, no, do, do you know what? She's got enough awards. Like, she doesn't need another one. Like, Michelle Yeoh obviously deserves it. And I also, do you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the BAFTAs? Um, do you feel, I, I like, hope they feel a bit silly now for, like, trying to give yeah. it the sort of prestige because they awarded Best Film to All Quiet on the Western Front, didn't they? And, yeah, um, Austin which was Butler another big winner. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, that's a bit strange. A bit of a strange one. They're, they're pretty much the only awards... Um, body that didn't give everything to everything everywhere all at once. All the big American ones, it swept all of them. So yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. And um, also really, really happy for Brendan Fraser as well. That is another mm -hmm. incredible story of everything that he's been through. So yeah, it's one of those Oscars. Like last, if you compare it to last year, and there's all people talking about it for all the kind of wrong reasons. Everything that happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock. Like this one just feels like they've actually chosen everything right, and um, there's no like drama, no sort of contro controversy. It's just great. Yeah, it's really just happy. all good vibes, and I feel like we really, really need good it. Vibes. The one person I did feel a bit sorry for was Angela Bassett. Like, not that Jamie yes. Lee Curtis doesn't deserve it, but it just was a bit that was a slight, definitely the tiny sound, especially. Though, I think. And especially when you consider, you know, as we spoke about before, in the, in the lead up to this, um, Viola Davis and Daniel Dettwan are not even getting nominated for Best mm -hmm. Actress, and they are both brilliant. Um, yeah, that's definitely the, definitely left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. And I do think it was a bit of a surprise as well because she yeah. she won a lot of the awards running up to it. And um, she is fantastic. I didn't even realise Jamie Lee Curtis was sort of, you know, there were kind of yeah, odds on her it's winning a bit of a strange it, really. one. It was a bit of a strange one. It just kind of came out of nowhere at the end because I think it's just they've just given it to every single award to everything everyone at once. Mm. And um, yeah, that is a bit sad. I mean, she's an, an absolutely incredible actress. I'd love 
to think there's a world where she gets an Oscar, you know, before the end of her career. So she's, you know, I can't think of anyone else who deserves it more than her. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. The, yeah, the, the, I was really pleased that Ruth Carter won it for um, costume design, though, because her costumes for um, Black Panther 2 were incredible. Although, of course, the costume design of Everything Everywhere All at Once was also spectacular. So either of those I would have been thrilled with. And she's won um, it twice now, right? Twice in a row for yeah, uh, yeah. Black Panthers, which is yeah. great. That's pretty sick. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, have you been watching or listening to anything else? Nothing other than what we've already spoken about a lot on this podcast before. So I finished The Last of Us, which was, mm-hmm. I thought, a fantastic ending. And also The Mandalorian, which I think I wasn't buzzing for the first episode, but the second episode is like, back, I'm in, I'm all in. I thought it was really good. So yeah, I know it's like, I'm just feel like Pedro Pascal overload at the moment, but you know, I don't think you can ever have too much of a great man. I totally agree. I couldn't really, I was, I'm having a hard time sort of wrapping my head back around the Mandalorian, actually. Like the first episode was a sort of, it was a real place setter, wasn't it? So nothing really happened, didn't matter. And then the second one, obviously the action kicked into gear. But I'm still a bit like, I can't, I can't remember where I am in this world. And maybe it's a sort of Last of Us and or type, like that's where I've been with these shows lately. And the Mandalorian is just proper, like old school Star Wars adventure, isn't it? So I feel slightly weird. I thought the finale of The Last of Us was incredible, and I've been yeah. a bit. Yeah. And they have not. They have not really. I. They've. They barely put a foot wrong all series, have they? Like it's just been uh, as a, just a masterclass in like a great series. And I know on the podcast that we listened to on the Midnight Boys, they were talking about it as being one of the best first series of any show in history. So yeah, it's been fantastic. See, I because there's things that I haven't liked about it, as you know that you know that sort of thing of not really being able to get fully into characters and just meeting characters and for one or two episodes and then they go but actually in the finale it all I was like oh no there's there's a reason for this and it's not just because it's based on a video game there's actual proper kind of character development work there's emotional reasons it needed to be just the two of them at the end not that's not a spoiler it's just like at like that it's their journey it's their story and the scene between the two of them about halfway through the episode, you know the one I'm talking about that's just like I do, I do. Ooh, just Yeah, and she's she's really impressed me as a series yeah. on. I think she's a an amazing actress. And um yeah, I just I'm very, very impressed with it. And I think any fan of the game that I speak to, I know it's not really beloved, but I don't I am met a fan of the game that's been disappointed in it, which I think is the best compliment that you can yeah. play it, to be honest. Because like one of those things uh, you, you take over something that beloved and do a good job of it. That's as hard as anything is in the world. And to give it that sort of emotional weight as well is a real challenge and something that they've just pulled off impeccably, really. Yeah. And speaking of emotional weight, this time next week, we'll all be talking about Ted Lasso. Buzzing. I'm really excited <gasps> for that as well. Yeah, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, the premiere. Can't wait. That's, that'll be good. Yeah, so loads of good TV at the moment. And then yeah. sessions come too. Oh my god! Yeah, March and April, man. It's uh, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter what Tottenham do in the end, does it? Actually, because we're just uh we're we're all booked up. We're all booked up. Ash, what are you up to at the moment? Um, I haven't watched or seen much. What I did watch though, which I wouldn't recommend, is like the Luther movie. Um, oh, it, it seemed bad. Yeah, I actually really like the TV series, but I I like the first thought, two, yeah. and then I feel like it went off. But I just think that the the movie didn't quite work for me. Uh, And Idris is an Arsenal fan, so fuck him. Yeah, actually, good point. 
Yeah. I just, I felt like all when it didn't, I know it was a sort of, she was obviously a massive psychopath, but I thought it didn't really work without Ruth Wilson because they were just really fun together. That like is they, the show, really. Yeah. Like and so when she was gone, it was like, well. Yeah. No, I know. It doesn't work without her. So, no. yeah, wouldn't recommend. But that's the only <laughs> thing I've really seen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Any music or anything? No, I've just been in work and music mode. I'm not going to bore you with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> next next time, you got to watch those stuff, listen to those stuff, and then, yeah, and then come back to us. Tom, how about you? Uh, my only contribution to Oscar's chat is that Pacey and Jen were back together. There was a great photo. Oh, that was so cute. Joshua Jackson and Michelle Williams. And I think Bussy, Busy, Bussy Phillips usually goes with her, but couldn't make it this year. So it was great that uh, one of the other DC, Dawson's Creek, uh, cast members was there to uh, hang out with Michelle Williams, who was nominated um haven't seen most of the oscars films have watched every single episode of the dragon's den series so if anyone wants to talk to me about the simmering tension between tooker and uh stephen bartlett then uh yeah at me <laughs> um i forgot Shrink- how much of a like oh then head you were <laughs> like da- between dawson's creek and uh and dragon's den i've mentioned both my all-time all-time favorites mm-hmm. there. i'm no, with you on dawson's creek obviously I'm a massive den den head. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm enjoying shrinking still on Apple TV Plus. Stick with it. Same team as Ted Lasso. Yeah. It's okay. I'm one episode in. I'm a bit like this show's all over the place. Oh no, get stick with it. Three or four in, and it's half hour. You can just race through it. Uh, and then two quick fast songs. Uh, there's a new Hack Baker that's really good called Telephones for Eyes. He kind of came out as this sort of Billy Braggish folk guy. And then this new track, Telephones for Eyes, is like punk track, I would say. It's really it's really good. There's a, there's a line about Britney Spears in there as well that I think you'd like, Rosa. Um, to comment on celebrity culture. Uh, and then I also like the new Rasheen Murphy. She's now from Maloko. She is signed to Ninja and has a track produced by DJ Cozy called Cool. Um, it's really good. So I'm excited that she's back. And that's me, I think. Cool. All good things. Um, yep, I was just uh yeah, The Last of Us mostly, um, Mandalorian. Um at the weekend I went to the Victoria and Albert Museum, one of my favorite museums ever, to see two exhibitions, the one about sort of Korean culture over the last sort of century, I guess, really. Um, but kind of with like a massive focus on sort of k-pop and korean cinema and korean fashion um it's really really fun it's not they don't try and pack kind of too much in so you get sort of nice overview i went with my kids and there's a really fun bit in it where you learn you can learn a k-pop dance routine which we did and you can record yourself and i fucking loved it and probably more than they did actually and there's also um, an Africa fashion exhibition at the same time, which I also went to, which is very beautiful. Um, loads of amazing clothes, um, loads of very cool designers. Um, and yeah, I just it's just a brilliant museum and always has loads of interesting stuff. So I would recommend that if you're ever in the area. Um, but that's it from me, really. Um, thanks so much, guys. I feel like I'm really glad this one. I'm glad Tottenham gave us a win. I'm glad we had something 
positive to discuss. I'm glad we could look for the light. I'm just going to keep repeating that because fuck knows where we'll be this time next week. Let's be honest. Billy, would you see us out? Up the spurs. <laughs>